So what was it? What made me decide to leave the Corps? Shortly after the Battle of Geonosis, our troop transport got caught between two Separatist gunships. They fired on us with everything they had. We crashed. Most of us were either dead or severely injured. So when they started working their way through the wounded, killing us off, I knew there was no hope. I ran. It still haunts me. I'm sorry. It's the day I felt my life didn't have any meaning. Everyone I cared about, my team, was gone. I was just another expendable clone, waiting for my turn to be slaughtered in a war that made no sense to me. It's over 150 hours of Star Wars on film. This is the Star Wars binge, where we select, order, and elevate the best 40 hours of the Star Wars canon. My name is Jeff Cook. Philosophy at UNC in Greeley, and in Denver, Colorado, is the Daniel Mothershed, playwright, comedian, and pop culture enthusiast. This is true. This is the sound of my voice. Daniel, we are again joined by personality typing expert TJ Wilson. Hooray! I'm here. <laughs> we uh, need to get on self-control expert somebody, because every time the three of us get together, we're talking for five hours about a first half of a 20-minute episode. <laughs> we're we're going to have to uh, find somebody in our community who is a self-control expert to be able to have them on because I don't, I don't, I can't, I'm hard-pressed to think of anyone we know that I think fits in that category. Yeah. That's because they get sick of being around us. <laughs> <laughs> I said self-control expert and the first image that popped to my mind was like a dominatrix thing. You know? <laughs> oh my. Is that something we need to talk about, Jeff? <laughs> I do have myself some fetishes, but that ain't one of them. Sure. So, <laughs> yeah. This is the most interesting way we've started this show to date. <laughs> <laughs> See, case in point, we need somebody to keep us on. I will point out, usually we do this in the afternoon, in evening, and maybe drinks have been had. It is, it is 10.05 a.m. <laughs> yeah, that's true. This is happening just on its own. Well, we recorded in April 2021, the first half of this, and we are four months later. And since then, Daniel has successfully moved to Denver, so I can update that for y'all. Yeah. 70% of America has been vaccinated. Ooh. We're back outside. Slash inside. And the bad batch is halfway through release. And so we actually get got a new episode with Cut. I don't know if you guys watch this, but Jack, Shay, and Sue are in it. And so it's cut, and Sue's outfit has been changed dramatically. I think she had a full shirt on. She did. In the Bad Batch, she actually had a full yeah. shirt. Oh, I was going to say, wait a minute. They scaled it back, or they scaled it up? <laughs> <laughs> up. Going back to fetishes, I suppose. The very attractive mom? Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're going to enter this space. One of the things I love most about this episode... And we're on the deserters. This is episode 10 of season two. There is a ton of character moments here. What do you call these, Daniel? In, in film where you really take time to pause and there are two or three people and they have a conversation that really exposes their inner life. D dialogue? I mean, I, I don't know that. I really don't know that there's like a specific name like for a scene like that, but it's just, it's just yeah. a more like a, like a, a character driven dialogue scene as opposed to an expositional 
like we're setting up seven or eight different things. It's like, no, we're just going to sit down and learn about these characters. Yeah. Happens more in theater, I would say, than it happens in film and television traditionally. I think I'm so used to action movies just being, okay, how do we go to the next place? And then how do we go to the next place? And how do we go to the next place? And sometimes you just don't pause to really get a sense of the inner life of your characters. And even in throughout the Clone Wars, it's not necessarily the case that we get moments that are like this. This felt real unique to me. Yeah, there's a lot of movement throughout the show, and, and this is one great example of they're doing something different than moving from here to there. Yeah. For a show that's about war and fighting, there there are a lot of like existential conversations about identity and self and, you know, the real stuff that everybody wrestles with all the time. Star Wars getting quiet. And that's just it. Like how do you create a space where one of your characters who's in the military gets a chance to just be quiet and ask some hard questions? just well played here in terms of just setting this up for as short as the episode is again it's just 20 minutes absolutely also space is quiet and infinite so i would imagine (laughs) there's lots of opportunity to be alone and do that you would think what's the aliens tagline in Uh, space space? no one can hear your existential crisis (laughs) (laughs) yes that's the pull quote from this episode internet (laughs) well we're going to pick up where we left off with Rex in the barn, and it's dark, and we see a man who looks like a clone enter. Who are you? What are you doing here? You're a clone. So, I see the war has finally made its way out here, and I guess I can expect a visit from some droids soon. What's your number and rank? <laughs> My name is Laquane. Cutlequane. And I'm just a simple farmer. You're a deserter. Well, I like to think I'm merely exercising my freedom to choose. To choose not to kill for a living. That is not your choice to make. You swore an oath to the Republic. You have a duty. I have a duty. You're right. But it's to my family. Does that count, or do you still plan to turn me in? Do I have a choice? We, we talked a little bit about this, but just the image of choice is huge in terms of just film itself, but has a particular ring when you talk about the choices, free choices of clones. Well, and I, I, I like the juxtaposition of choice versus duty here. Because mm. I, I don't think Rex is saying you don't have choice. I think he's saying you already made a choice and now it's your responsibility to f- fulfill the terms of the choice you already made. And that for him, duty is the only choice. Right. Like, sure, you've got choices, but your only like real choice is to do what you were designed to do. Right. The more that we get into Clone Wars, we've said this numerous times now that the central event in Star Wars is no longer the destruction of either the Death Stars, the central event is Order 66, mm. and that hangs entirely on the choices of clones, or at least choices that have been made before, perhaps, that, that may, maybe that's part of this, is if, if Rex is saying you've already made a choice, you are serving the Republic, and whatever the Republic says, and when it says kill all the Jedi, that will be it. You have in some ways major choice well but there again the choice is removed because the chip is is programming yeah 
Mm-hmm. I need to go back. I, I, I tried to look up a couple of epi- uh, articles on this, but you know who doesn't obey Order 66 and still has a chip? Is one Cut Laquade. Hmm. They don't have him flipping the Bad Batch. And I don't know what the metaphysics of all, sure. all that is. Some people were saying he's too far away. <laughs> just, just out of signal reach. Right. <laughs> well, and even like going down the route of programming, like my my old iPhone 6 doesn't get the updates that my iPhone 12 does. Right. So it doesn't do the same functions anymore. And it's because it's it's removed from the system. It might be that he's he's removed himself from the system enough that when Order 66 comes through, the way that that programming is, like his brain has already sort of rewired itself. I think that that may be what they're going for. Is yeah. It's just a nice little touch that perhaps all the clones had a choice to leave. And if they had made that decision, uh, maybe neurologically it would have shifted. And that's what we see in this character. Yeah. Well, I think we, you almost see a little of it too in the, at the end of the Clone Wars when Order 66 kicks in. Like you, you can, I feel like you can almost see Rex fighting against it a little bit when he's turning to Ahsoka because he's clearly crying in those moments. And I, and, and, yep. and I think that backs that up a little bit as well. But for a character whose moral sense of duty is so strong, he doesn't, he doesn't win that fight. Yep. Agreed. Anyway, tremendous double meanings throughout this set of scenes that we're going to see. Well, then two kids come in. Daddy, you're home! Look what I drew you, Dad! <laughs> oh, well, well, well. That's great, Jack. I see you two have met. As we talked about last time, Cut is the stepfather of these children. He's actually likely their same age or maybe even younger mm-hmm. because he has advanced aging. I, I'm still. I, I said this in a different episode, and I'm still going to push back on it. If if everything about them is advanced to age, that would also mean that emotional maturity wise, they're as old as they are physically. I don't think their minds would stay 13, and then the rest of them would go up to 30. Yeah, that that just does that seems weird. I think the creators make make that happen. It doesn't feel like the clones are infantile in emotional maturity. No. So I think that's correct. They're trying to, it, it seems to me like they're trying to sort of live a little bit in both worlds. Like the the immaturity to be able to recognize that like swearing an oath when you were only a couple of years old to to your creators, that's not really a choice. Right. Like that's, that's, that's brainwashing. That's, that's all that is. And so like, being unable to recognize that 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 oath doesn't have the same kind of weight as a legitimate choice while at the same time like they have to portray these are adult men who might only be technically a few years old but they're still Mm. adult men making adult decisions yeah i agree that's just something that's bugged me as i've watched the show i'm like are they supposed to be like adults with like child minds because that just doesn't work for me i think it i it seems like the 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 thing that they're lacking is wisdom yeah that sort of pervasive black and white ism of you can only do one of two things and that's Mm -hmm. the only way feels pretty youthful but but in in still in like a i know 
plenty of people in their 30s that feel like that. Right. So, you know, <laughs> right. It, like, I feel like that a lot of times, too. So, yeah, I guess, I guess that still works, but... Seems to be what the episode in part is about is exactly that moving out of, you know, we all have to start at a place where it's black and white thinking. That's just how moral emotional development works until the world blows open and you see, you begin to see grays and you begin to start asking harder questions. And isn't that what's taking place here for Rex? Mm -hmm. Entirely. Sue. I see you two have met. He looks just like you, daddy. I told them. Oh, you did, huh? I was just making our guest Captain, um, what's your number? Rex. I also have a name, believe it or not. He was injured. His men brought him here. I told them he could stay just for the night. Of course he can. We never turn away those in need, do we? No, we always help anyone we can. Right. You, um, you look hungry, Rex. Um, no, I'm fine. I'll, I'll stay here. No, you have to eat with us, please, please, please. <laughs> They're never please, gonna stop please, till you please, say please, yes. Please. All right, I'll join you. Yeah! Yippee! Moving things forward, I don't know if this is how things work. I know there's something biological about when you see your own child that their facial structure has an attraction to the actual biological parents. You know, that's one of the things that are, are passing on our genes and being able to see ourselves in these new little humans or see the face of our lover in these new little humans creates an emotional bond. Hmm. I don't know if that would, I assume that would be the case with, with Rex at the very least it's, he's an uncle and he flips pretty quick in terms of saying, I'm going to stay in the barn to these kids moving him into, into the house to have a further family meal and conversation. I also think just in general, it's hard to say no to kind children that like you. Yeah. I'm making too much out of this. I have no children that I am aware of. And, uh, but I'm, 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 all of my friends have children and those children very easily can convince me to, <laughs> to give them things, help them with things, come and do things. I've been to so many terrible like flute recitals. I, I think it's just sweet children liking you. You're like, oh, God, well, okay, yeah, sure. I'll, yeah, I'll do it. Yeah, I affirm that from both sides, from the like before I had kids, I couldn't say no to nice children. And also now it's like, oh, yeah, that is actually part of why I love my daughters, because her face is tricking me into it. <laughs> Tell her that just repeatedly as soon as she can understand it. No, start now. So it's in there. It just... <laughs> Well, then there is this Japanese-style song that comes on as they begin their meal, and Cut says, Yes, well, you and I may be clones, but we're still individuals. You have a name rather than a number, Captain. Why is that? Perhaps our leaders feel it's a more efficient way of distinguishing us. More efficient than a number? Hmm. I doubt the Kaminoans <laughs> think that way. Still, a name has to make you feel unique. Especially in an army where everyone looks like you and talks like That is a question that I had. So we see the Domino Squad all sort of either pick their nicknames slash names or they're given to them. And maybe I just haven't seen it because we haven't focused on it in the binge yet. Who, how, does Rex pick his own name or is he given the name Rex? 
Hey, you know what? I don't I don't know about the naming of Rex. Yeah, I can't. Because he, he, sh- he shows up pretty fully formed, and they don't show a lot of that early stuff. Yeah, because that, that jumped out to me right away. Because he's like, given the... I was like, wait, somebody chose to name him Rex, yet the others are, you know... Call numbers? I feel like the yeah the the whole exposition on that is done in the episode with Domino Squad, that like it seems like the the presentation they're trying to make about the names is that like they were they're given numbers and this is their official recorded name, but because we're interacting with people, we need something more than a number because you know this is at a time when the view of the Republic Army is that they're. They're not faceless drones. Now, when it's when it's the the Empire, and we're talking about stormtroopers, they are faceless drones. We don't care about their names; they just have a number. But when Jedi are working with them and trying to like build a relationship with a team, they're trying to to give them a little bit more of their humanity back, a little bit more individuality. And I I think Domino Squad is the only place where they really get into how that happens. Yeah, yeah. I- I'd buy that. It's also the case, I think we see this with what they're releasing in Bad Batch, is just how the Empire, even when they're bringing in stormtroopers, very much is about making them numbers. Yeah. The The clones quickly become numbers in Bad Batch as well. It doesn't seem like the personalities and names are there anymore. I'm not even sure there's a lot of distinguishing marks on the armor anymore. Yeah, because it's all about that's what fascism is, right? It's all about yeah. uniformity. <laughs> I wonder if that would be something that they've done. Like, we need you to remove all of those symbols from your armor, or even giving them new armor. I suppose as they move forward. But that is it. it there's nothing to care about in the clones that we're seeing in Bad Batch right now. Right. That's that's. I'm super behind on the Bad Batch, but that's super interesting. It. They feel like stormtroopers. I mean, is really it, and they have colored armor at times, but that's more about their function in the universe and not their personality right the the different types of stormtroopers yeah okay so we come down hard on the jedi at times because obviously the show is trying to show you here's where the jedi fail but it's worth on the on the flip side saying here's where the jedi really succeed uh we just released our episode ambush um and i was reminded in re-editing just how beautiful it is to have yoda engaging the clones as human beings elevate their humanity Mm -hmm. they do that with the clones they do that with the droids uh the the i'm bringing life to things is pouring out of the heart of the good characters yeah absolutely comes back to one of the very first things that said in all the clone wars where which is uh, a bunch of three clones are marooned with plo koon and they're having a dialogue out in the middle of the space as they're waiting to suffocate. <laughs> and the clones, one of the clones says, you know, we're clones. We're made to be expendable. That's what they've been taught. And Plo Koon says, not to me. And, and then does some stuff and moves the plot forward. But <laughs> just a beautiful image. Rex turns back to Cut. Again, Cut had said, The name has to make you feel unique. Especially in an army where everyone looks like you and talks like you. Actually, I've never really thought about it. Yes, you have. Well, how would you know? Because I am as close to you as any life form can be. And Cut gets in close. And then he backs up and gets a little warm. But he really is coming in to say, "I, I know exactly who you are, how you think. Don't 
don't lie to me mm. and uh let's have a let's have a real conversation i think is where it cuts at and also i know things about you that you won't admit because i know how you think mm. because he's gone through the exact same things right <laughs> that's how he got to the point that he's at now i don't know if they're the same person but there's a there's a, a lot of similarities between Kenobi and Rex mm -hmm. in terms of their pushing away their desires in, their, in order to get the job done. Well, because it'd be a weakness, I feel like, in at least Rex's case. Yeah. Stopping to acknowledge those things is, is a, makes you weak. Yeah. And, and it doesn't align with the terms of a mission. Mm -hmm. He's still on the immature side of his dedication. Yeah, there it is. Yeah. Committed to duty, black and white reasoning. Yep. Not necessarily how Kenobi thinks, or is it? I'll think on that. We're going to tackle, uh, you know, the episodes with he and Duchess Satine here. In a I think it's the same thing. It's just a, a, a more um, complex version for Kenobi. Like, he, he wrestles with it more, and he engages with it more than Rex does. But I think it's it's still the same sort of these these little rules by which I live, and I may not be happy about it. Like like Rex isn't even considering the other side of the rules consciously, whereas Kenobi isn't willing to break the rules. But it doesn't mean he's not thinking about it. I feel like he's got to be forced to. Like, like it does. It doesn't. We don't see a ton of Obi Wan Kenobi pre coming into contact with Anakin, but it almost feels like this kid sort of pushes him reluctantly into thinking about a lot of things he's never thought of before. Because he's still a pretty young guy when he meets him. Yeah, right. There is an overlap here between Rex Kenobi and Anakin in terms of there. Each of them have, well, Rex doesn't specifically, but Anakin and Kenobi have objects of their romantic interest and here the, at least the temptations on the table mm -hmm. for somebody like Rex you could always leave you could always pursue a purple twilight with a couple kids <laughs> like, <Right>. you know, <laughs> and that's what cut says I've seen how you look at my family our home come on Rex admit it you've thought about what your life could look like if you would also leave the army choose a life you want I think this is just a solid scene very well composed dives quick to the heart i do like just to speak about cut for a minute cut is not trying to repress his emotional life or desires mm -hmm. in fact seems to be very aware of what they are and giving them power giving them real power in terms of really saying this is who i am and i will be acting on that and that is the right choice yeah see so, yeah, it seems super healthy like yeah. a lot of our other characters in Star Wars, the minute they kind of start digging into emotional things, things go downhill very quickly. They go over to the dark side. Yeah, 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 exactly. They go over to the dark side, or 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 people they care about start to die left and right. But it feels like this guy is both in tune with his emotions and in very healthy with that. Mm -hmm. It isn't like doesn't seem to be governed by them. They're just part of who he is. I. I don't know that governed by them is right, but I think more than others, like this this is one of the problems with someone like like Rex or Anakin or even even Obi-Wan is that that 
they are working so hard to control and sort of omit those parts of themselves that they end up being a, a controlling, an unconscious controlling force. Whereas Cut, in embracing his emotional side, his desires, his his need for connection in having a family, he's allowing that to control him in a way that that isn't blind to it. That that is a much better way to say what I was attempting to say. <laughs> he's he's not just like a capering id running around like crying and screaming and demanding right. it, things. It's not busting out of him because he can't control it. Ex- yeah. He's he's letting it move him and and help guide his decisions. Yes. Huge part of being a healthy human being is selecting and this is where choice comes in, selecting the place where you're going to be grounded foundationally when everything else fails, what are you actually leaning into? Is it duty? Is it views of character and virtue? Is it these are the relational connections I have? Is it a combination of all those things? You know, when you when when things really get tough, how do you process? And we're seeing two different ways of doing that here, yeah. Right. Completely. I love this trope of the soldier who wants to have a normal life. And that's the tension in the drama or in the story. And I bet you can name a handful of these stories that have recently been told, in fact, of this person that's just battling, 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 but all they really want to do is have the home, have the, the romance, have something that isn't just about you know, killing people all the time or, or even fighting for something that's good and noble, but they're just tired, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, do, you have, do you have any characters that come to mind on that front? Uh, how about Corbin Dallas from The Fifth Element? Boom, talk about it. Well, I mean, he's, he's just trying to live his life, man. Former fancy, uh, fancy military guy. Then he gets bombarded with this whole thing about saving Earth because nobody else can do it, apparently. He just wants to live his life. That's good. Poor guy. Yeah. <laughs> just trying to be a taxi driver, and people keep ruining his taxi. Falling through the roof of his cab. I, I wonder if that's stolen by... The the first uh, character that came to my mind was Logan in The Wolverine, sure. who seems to likewise just want that. In in the very final film that they have of Logan, he's a taxi driver. Well, he's a limo driver. Right. I wonder if they're stealing Similar some idea. of that from. Uh, I mean, because Fifth Element, because someone who has those kinds of skills, who's trying to like make a living in a yeah. in a way that doesn't expose them to the public at all. I mean, service industry—that's basically all it is. <laughs> and man, it is for for a character that struggles with anger like Wolverine. The service industry is probably <laughs> not the best. The best tree. Uh, terrible idea. So I thought of the, what I thought of is is both a, a play and then in the '80s was turned into a movie, and it's gonna sound like a ridiculous answer at first. I actually thought about the character of Frederick in the Pirates of Penzance. Okay, <laughs> talk about it. He he is a he is a twenty one year old kid who was apprenticed to pirates uh-huh. uh, as a baby until his twenty first year. Uh, and he realizes he can get out of the piracy and he meets this young woman and falls in love with her and then suddenly finds out due to some 
strange loophole. You were actually born in a leap year, so you're not actually 21. You're not actually 21 years old. You're actually nine because of leap year, and you are still apprenticed to us, and you are a slave to your duty, which is the tagline for the Pirates of Byzance, the slave of duty. So this poor kid has to essentially realize that I, you know, I hate this, and I hate everything about all of you pirates, soldiers, whatever you want to call them, but. Above all else, duty is the most important thing in the world, and he goes back to to be a pirate and attacks the father of his fiance. Mm. There were a handful that popped for me. Uh, Maximus was from uh, mm-hmm. Gladiator was the first, and I thought most obvious that kind of was was there in terms of he's just been battling for Rome, glory of Rome, glory of Rome. But he the very intro conversation he has with. The emperor is how he wants to go back to his family where the house smells of herbs. And uh, it's be a beautiful imagery there. Yeah. Uh, this, the second was, uh, this. Uh, it seems like this is real common in the MCU. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's Hulk's story. He doesn't want to fight anymore. It's Captain America's story, which culminates in Endgame. We already mentioned Wolverine, but and it's, uh, is there another one? I mean, Spider-Man seems to have a little bit of this going on. It's like he knows he needs to probably settle down, but the adventure is out there for him to just keeps pulling him back in. Also, he's 17. He's got plenty of time. <laughs> right. And it's, it's a it's at least a, a something that they all wrestle with. Like that this is true of like this is Tony Stark's whole arc in the MCU is oh, I guess that's true. Yeah. Getting away from I was, was going to mention that how how to be Tony Stark without Iron Man, yeah, and then having his house and his wife and his kid mm-hmm. out in the middle of nowhere and saying this is the most important thing to me and I'm not willing to yeah I'm not willing to screw that up and and I think that it's an interesting to me that they're they're playing the other side of it I think from both Iron Man and Captain America it's 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 less about wanting to not be fighting anymore and more about not knowing how to not fight anymore. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. A Captain America doesn't know who he is without a war. Iron Man, uh, Tony Stark doesn't know who he is without Iron Man. And, and both of their stories culminate with them saving the day and not being those people anymore. Yeah. Yeah. One last, I actually, I got three last characters, but uh, another last comic book character is Nolan's Batman. Mm-hmm. And actually, if you if you watch what is arguably the second best Batman film, uh, which is Phantom Batman Returns, <laughs> which is Phantom, what is it? Mask of the Phantasm. Oh, that was God. That's so good. It's a it's wonderful. But that the temptation for Batman in that is all about leaving the cowl and leaving duty, the duty or the promises that he swore to his parents in order to be happy. Mm-hmm. It's a huge element in that story. And Nolan's film ends with him obviously having done the hard work, having sacrificed what he needed to sacrifice, and then walking away. And the most heartbreaking scene with Michael Caine that's ever been put on film. <laughs> Which is saying a lot. I know. When, he, uh, when he's uh, crying? Yeah, or yeah the, when, he's, okay. when he's at the grave. That is that, like, basically oh, any scene ever me. that has Michael Caine crying, it's just... I'm invested, man. I didn't think about that. I need to go back and rewatch Rises. Yeah, it's 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 that one when when he's when he's at the grave and he's essentially apologizing. Just I failed you. Yeah. Just just knocks me down. I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs>
I failed you. You trusted me. And I failed you. The flip side of this is Bob Parr in The Incredibles, who has left his life <laughs> and is now really unhappy uh, that he has chosen to settle down and have a family. <laughs> I don't think that he's unhappy that he has a family. Yeah, I also don't think he chose it. Yeah. I, I think he's he's only in hiding because he has to be. Well, he has that intro. At the intro of The Incredibles, he's, he's speaking to an interviewer, and he says, I think I just like the simple life, you know, relax a little and raise a family. Yeah. But this is this is part of what they're presenting with Captain America's storyline as well, is that, like, mm-hmm. Bob Parr, yeah, he's talking about that. He's thinking about it. But when he's actually in it because he doesn't have a choice, it's not what he wants. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah. And it's just the, the trope, too, of, like, what happens when you get what you want? <laughs> and you learn that maybe that's not what you want. Yeah. Right. He clearly is slightly controlled by the type of job that he can take and all the rest. Yeah. Uh, one last one is uh, Last Temptation of Christ has this element to it where the whole premise is you get to see a, a vision that Jesus has of him actually having left the battle, as it were, settling down with someone he's fell, fallen in love with and getting a chance to see what his life would have been like. And, and the movie ends with, with him dying. But the, the image is what could have been kind of imagery for that character. I find it fascinating. I'm not a big Scorsese fan. That's a Scorsese film, isn't it? Yep. Um, Very early. That's, that's Willem Dafoe, too, right? As as yeah. Jesus? Yeah. As Jesus. I think I've seen that once. Lots of beautiful cin- cinematography in that. I mean, there's a whole scene where he's wanting to give that up in, in um, Jesus Christ Superstar as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know if this is a worthy question, but who is it that needs to have these kinds of conversations? You're in the battle. Have you considered your your own emotional life, your own desires, your own what could be. Is this for all of us? Is this for just a certain sort of person? I was going to say, I think that's everybody. I think we all need to, you know, we're not all soldiers, but we we are all mixed up in, not mixed up, but we're all participating in things that kind of become our lives. And I think sometimes it is worthwhile to just stop and say, why am I doing this? And who am I in this? And is that healthy? Is that good? Am I doing the right thing? Am I putting good things into the world? I don't know. I feel like we have mm-hmm. all we've all had a year to kind of do that. Well, I also think this is this is part of the um, the transition from modernism into postmodernism, most easily seen by the by one of the like fundamental differences between boomers and millennials is that. Millennials want to enjoy their work. Mm. And boomers yeah. are working for the weekend. <laughs> you know, like like there there's this mindset and and like that's that's an oversimplification, obviously, but like there's there's this this whole generation of like our parents and their parents that like you get a good job that pays a good paycheck and has a pension and and benefits and you get the house and you have the family and you work until you retire and then you enjoy the rest of your life. And by the time my generation came into the workforce and, and people, I'm, I'm an elder millennial, like everyone after me, like even, even my employees, like I'm amazed that some of my employees who work 
part time at a coffee shop are content with just working part time at a coffee shop because they love their work, even though they don't have a steady paycheck, they don't have benefits. And it's not because I don't pay my employees well. It's because they they work part time at a at a coffee shop. Uh, <laughs> like like there's this generational shift that happened. And like who cares about Gen X? We're skipping over them to talk about this. But um, <laughs> like that 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 idea of being bound to these decisions you made when you f- started your career in your twenties versus continually looking for something that that fulfills you in a different sort of way in in that like unquestioning like what do you mean you want to enjoy your work or you don't want to work 50 hours a week like that's what you do right you get up you go to work you come home right you die at 50 you look like you're 80 right (laughs) last person that kind of struck me on this is the soldier leaving is there's a famous story of George Washington on this front, having given his life in service to the military eight years to the presidency and deciding not to make it a, I'm going to hand this to my kids. He doesn't have any kids. I suppose that's one of the problems, but, but of even walking away from, you know, one of the most powerful positions in the world in order to just go back home. Um, kind of struck me as another historic example of this. And, and kind of specifically to sh- also to show people that you can do that. And I think that's another big yeah. part of the Washington thing. Too. I want to walk away from this because there are other things I want to do. And also I want people to see that it's okay to step, you know, to do something for a short amount of time and then step away. And it's actually better for us not to have the same thing consistently over decades. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I love that por- the portrayal of that in Hamilton. That's all I've been yeah. thinking about. Yeah. Um, but also, it's it it's one of the f- the few examples of someone intentionally trying to be an example about that. Like that, this episode is mm. called the deserter because this isn't someone who is trying to to say to the world, to all of the clones, you can do this too. This is what it looks like. This is someone who had to to bail and hide. Yeah. Because he's a deserter. Well, in response to Cut's question, if you were to also leave the army and, and choose the life you want, Rex says... What if I am choosing the life I want? What if I'm staying in the army because it's meaningful to me? I think that's a great answer. It, it very well could be the case that he finds it deeply meaningful. He has real relationships, people he's willing to love, serve, and die for. It's a great answer if that's actually what he's doing, but I don't think he's spent the time. Th- I think that's just, I think that's just his knee-jerk response to like, you know, sure. you could leave. Well, how do you know I didn't think about it? Well, you didn't. Because <laughs> this is the first you're time you're giving me a knee-jerk ever. response, man. <laughs> right. It's all over your face. <laughs> and that's this is the purpose of the episode, isn't it? Yeah, is to show somebody needing to ask these questions of himself. Well, and and. and Portraying the the portrayal of these two characters who are, I keep forgetting that it's the same guy who does the voice of all the clones, because right. the complexity of the different characters is is so present. It's it's amazing, and and so Rex, who is this defensive sort of aggressive like like knee jerk response kind of like what's your rank and number, whereas Cut 
who has had time to mature and develop some wisdom and like all of his stuff is like, oh, so the war is finally out here, huh? Uh, I'm I have a duty to my family. I I'm the closest thing to you as any living being can be. He's he portrays that he's actually thought about what he's saying. Yeah. Whereas Rex isn't like his answer to this question is not because he's thought about it. It's because he needs to throw it back and cut to face. Yeah, that's good. There's an, there's an underlying anger here in the way that he's answering the question that shows that he hasn't done the mental work yet. Right. It may be just intuitional, but. And I also feel like he's unsettled by everything he's hearing. So it's also really easy Mm -hmm. to be defensive and angry too, as a, as a way of kind of like, I'm, I'm completely shocked. Mm Got to push all these scary thoughts to the outside. Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You, you presented a reality to me I've never thought of. So contempt for you is the only possible reaction and trying to bully slash shame you into realizing that you're not doing your job. That's a thing that people do. Never heard of this before. Oh, no, no, no. This is a work of fiction. We mentioned it, I think, in the last episode of just how helpful it can be to experience different cultures and different rhythms of life, you know, in other nations and the rest, to go overseas for extended periods of time so that you can get a sense of, oh, there's a different way to do this. Mm -hmm. And I imagine if future me came back and said, why aren't you growing all your own food? Or why haven't you got rid of your car yet? Or... You know, or why is it the case that you still have all of this stuff that you could have moved on from? It that that, that might be real challenging for me. You were right. Cryptocurrency was ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> I knew it. <laughs> How else do you uh, transfer money on the black market, though, Daniel? Uh, I mean, I feel like <laughs> news-wise, we're probably going to figure that out in a couple of months. <laughs> we probably will. Well, Cut says. And how is it meaningful? Because I'm part of the most pivotal moment in the history of the Republic. If we fail, then our children and their children could be forced to live under an evil I can't well imagine. Oh man, nobody tell him. That's exactly, I was looking for the line and that was it. (laughs) I mean, the evil that he, he imagines is living under Dooku. I mean, Dooku just wants to be part of the separatists. He wants to separate. I don't know that they're even in danger of having the Republic taken over, really. Yeah, agreed. I don't think, again, I don't think he really knows what he's saying. I think these are just the responses that he's been told. So it's th- there's no meaning behind the words. It's like, well, this is, yeah, we're saving the world from the worst thing that could happen to the world. Yeah, this, this feels very much like he is spouting the propaganda that he's never, never had reason to question. Yeah. This whole episode feels very Vietnamish to me in terms of like the conversation that Vietnam veterans would have. Mm. That uh, there's no nothing specific here aside from if you were watch something like Born on the Fourth of July, the kind of language that Tom Cruise uses in that about why he's fighting the war and ends up giving up his legs before uh, ends up having this kind of color. It's it's as you were saying, it's the propaganda. I'm going overseas because I'm fighting for freedom back home, and the dots haven't necessarily been <laughs> connected. Like, how is it the case that winning right. battles... How is our freedom in, being jeopardized? Yeah. How is Saigon, defending Saigon, going to help in this effort to have freedom of the press in Missouri? It, show, show me how this get you get from here to there. But that, uh, Rex had not done that work. 
I mean, maybe he sees those battle droids and says there's the potential that these battle droids are unleashed on every city in the galaxy, and that would be awful. But but then again, it's it's like they're they're called the separatists. They just want to mm-hmm. not be in the Republic, <laughs> right? <laughs> I mean, which obviously isn't true because of the blockades and the way the separatists are actually operating. But I mean, it's it's. It's it's this weird gray area of like, well, maybe, but also, if you think about it, maybe not. So yeah. you're fighting it's, for something that you believe in that might not be true. I think all the dudes that Vader hacks down at the end of Sith, I think they want to separate and own all the toll bridges. Yeah, That's what is actually being fought for. And the blo- blockade ends up being of that sort. There's, it's like economic leverage and... Well, there's we, we have had a discussion about um, like like the sep- the difference between like separatists who just want to not be in the republic and separatists who invade planets because they're part of. But I don't I don't even remember where it came up, but there there was discussion about like the separatists are invading other planets for strategic reasons and saying you're going to be part of us or true. Yeah. Yeah, no that yeah, their tactic is to gain leverage by bullying local warlords as it were into pledging allegiance. Right. One is it because the like maybe there is the separatist movement, but it feels like it got co-opted by Dooku and Sidious. Like maybe it yeah. started as a we just want to separate, but once those guys got involved, seems like it shifted. <laughs> and I suppose Sidious's whole tactic is just to weaken everybody else as much as possible, right. which enhances his power. So if I just if I demoralize and use up all the resources, as, then I get nothing but more power over time. Right. If you were to have children, of course, but that would be against the rules, wouldn't it? Isn't that what somebody programmed you to believe, Captain? No, Cut, it's simply what I believe doesn't matter if it's my children or other people's children. Does that meet with your approval? Cut. Realizes where the conversation has gone. Pushes back. Perfectly. To each his own. That's what I always say. What's going on here at the end of, the, of this conversation? Feels like a conversation between an adult and a teenager. Or, or, or an immature person and a mature person in an argument. And at some point, it just kind of, it just sort you, you sort of just have to decide, well, this is not really going anywhere. And I think I've shaken you up a little bit and you're getting defensive because you know that. So I'm just going to, yeah, I'm just going to put a pin in this here then. I've, I've done what I needed to do. And an idealist who's at least one foot in extremism. <laughs> arguing with someone who used to be part of that group and now isn't anymore. It's like, I'm, I'm, I'm fighting for your children. It's like, I, okay. I, I get that you see it that way. And I'm also fighting for my children. So this, this isn't going to go anywhere. (laughs) (laughs) Haven't thought about this, but there, there is that theme that keeps coming up in star wars of leaving the order as it were mm-hmm. and obviously leaving the jedi order for ahsoka or leaving the sith order for ventress or leaving the watch for din Djarin, and here leaving the army of the republic mm-hmm. for for cut that that what is it like there the order the order has all 
well, it brings order. It brings stability to your life. I know what I'm supposed to do. I know this is a huge part. We have a buddy who works with military vets after they get out of the service. And, and part of the real hard move for, for many vets is to figure out how to do life after the fact that nobody's telling you what to do every morning. Right. You don't have a wake-up time. You know, you don't have to go to the hall to get food mm-hmm. at this specific time. I've heard that about uh, professional athletes as well. You know, professional athletes, just I need to get my body in the right condition to go and do whatever I'm told to do, you know? Yeah. When even kids who had really strict upbringings yeah. go off to college. Yeah. <laughs> and lose their minds. Yeah. But, and there's something about that, like what do you do when you have to return to the theme here, to when you have the choices, when you are the one who is the artist creating your own life and you've never been the one in power, that can be tricky. Yeah. And scary. And scary. Cut's daughter, who has been listening to the conversation from the side, says, What does that mean, Daddy? It means you can do anything with your life that you want to. That is, to, to, each, to each his own. Rex then looks at Cut and, again, that's the point. Uh, you can do anything you want with your life. And the question comes back, does, does Rex have choices or the ability to do something else? And that's not just about today, but that's going to be about events in the future mm-hmm. that he didn't even know about. There's a Shakespearean theme right there. I mean, the, or at least a classic theme of destiny. Right, like an Achilles heel kind of a... Yeah, I think. <laughs> you have this unforeseen weakness, and eventually it's going to get you. But here are some of those conversations that were planted early on in which you actually did get a chance to wrestle with that. Well, and with the character, some of these characters, like they're, they're maybe their greatest strengths are also kind of on the flip side, their greatest weaknesses too. Like your mm-hmm. blind commitment to this maybe serves you well here, but it's going to be a huge deterrent over here. And you want to talk about that, TJ, in terms of uh, sometimes your greatest strength is your greatest weakness? That feels like a... Oh, is this the intervention part of the podcast? That's a, that's a theme. <laughs> this feels like a personality. <laughs> well, this is a big part of uh, of all of our personalities. Is sometimes that's that's just a reality. Right. <laughs> yeah. The um, I need it's it's greatly showcased here with like part of why Rex is a captain, part of what makes him a good soldier, and and, and not just a good soldier, but also a a good leader for other clones and a good partner to the jedi generals mm-hmm. is that that he is he is here for the mission mm-hmm. and and the mission is what matters whatever the cost and he's in he's he's fully bought in and that also means that he doesn't consider life outside of this mission and like there there's things in like that in all of us this is it's greatly showcased here with Rex, but it's 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 present for in in all of our lives. There are things that that we we all have that like in this setting when it's when it's appropriately utilized, these are great resources. And then in this other thing, when you take it to an extreme, it just can be ruinous. That that's one of the things about this sort of extremism is that you take it too far and it it doesn't just make order 66 followers it makes suicide bombers 
Mm-hmm. No, nobody wears a bomb vest on purpose unless they really believe what they're doing is right. And nobody kills all the Jedis unless, well, they're programmed. But No, but, but to push into that, it, it is the case that sometimes deep commitment to a cause builds some of the best things in our civilization. Right. And it also can tear down some of the best things in our civilization coming out of that same character trait. And so this is why human beings need wisdom. (laughs) This is why human beings need real authentic love for others. uh, Because otherwise you go down really terrible paths. And and you have to recognize that taking those traits, whatever they are, taking them to the extreme, like in the case of someone who has total devotion to his duty and to the mission— you have a whole army like that, what happens when there's a whole group of people that are completely devoted to a mission? When the mission changes, they change too. When somebody decides that they are going to use that devotion to their own benefit, now he has an army at his control. Mm-hmm. Like People can take advantage of devotion. That's so. entirely right. But this doesn't really this doesn't really happen in real life, <laughs> right? <laughs> At all? No, definitely not. Well, we're going to see this episode peak in in an arc we're going to cover in in three or four arcs from now. It's called the Battle of Umbara. It's going to be another very Rex heavy arc, but his how he wrestles with co- the immoral commands of those above him will be part of that arc mm-hmm. and it's real interesting yeah. it becomes a, a very it's it's a it's a stellar it's a top five arc for me and this episode really is set up for that there's also like this is like this is a thing in all human beings but it's also present in institutions yeah like it's it's not just rex and the clones it's the clone army it's not yeah. just suicide bombers. It's the institution that utilizes suicide bombers. It's not just that institution. Yeah. It's also other really good militaries because when people who are bad get into positions of power, they abuse their power. Apparently, we can't talk about systemic injustice anymore at the middle school, high school le- level. So, Oh, sorry. No, right. I forgot. Do you guys hate America? That's all. That's why I've been so quiet. I'm just so aghast. Might make people feel uncomfortable. So we cut over to Kenobi. He's battling. How are you doing, Jesse? Closing in, sir. We have a visual. Very well. We'll meet you in the middle. We cut to Grievous. Is your translator working? I don't know. I haven't used it yet. Uh, all right. I'll check on it. Stupid battle droids! Sir, you made it. Get back in the pod and send out a distress signal to what's left of our fleet. We need to get a shuttle down here immediately. Roger, roger. But I must inform you, sir, there are multiple life forms approaching from the east and west. Ah, battle positions! Just got a scene. There's the battle going on, but then there's the dialogue taking place between characters somewhere else that's a very star wars thing to do Mm -hmm. um big battle taking place but then we move to quiet then big battle 
Just a massive amount of ineptitude (laughs) happening all, all just all the way around that guy. Yeah, I don't know. I haven't used it yet. Oh man, (laughs) (laughs) Grievous just isn't very good at his job. He really is not. We cut to Rex and cut, and now they're playing Dejark. Fantastic setup here. Rex has had a near death experience. And now his conversation with himself is being symbolized with this chess match in front of him. Good move. Very good move. So what was it? What made me decide to leave the core? Shortly after the Battle of Geonosis, our troop transport got caught between two separatist gunships. They fired on us with everything they had. We crashed. Most of us were either dead or severely injured. So when they started working their way through the wounded, killing us off, I knew there was no hope. I ran. It still haunts me. That's a brutal scene. Mm. (laughs) My ship crashed. Some of us were left alive, and I watched droids systematically go through and execute my comrades. The thing that popped for me was it's it's from Jaws. You know, you're watching uh, the Indianapolis goes under and you're watching uh, all the sailors are floating in the water and then the sharks come you're watching them get taken down it's kind of that kind of image sure or if you've seen schindler's list where there's a scene where uh, ben kingsley essentially gets plucked out right before he's shot in the head he's like in a line of people who are just going down anyway i forgot ben kingsley was in that movie what? <laughs> oh, yeah. He's played both sides of that because he was just in. <laughs> um, he just played. Um... Yeah, I think it was. I yeah. Yeah, that like survivor's guilt sort of thing. Yeah. I, I think you see this in in like the old warrior story often mm. that yep. it, it's not it's not just survivor's guilt, but it's also I survived because. I let other people die. Big part of that's the central theme of Saving Private Ryan. Right. Comes to mind. It's also going to be a huge part of Rebels. And we got to see that at the beginning of the Bad Batch uh, with uh, Kanan Jarrus's character. Yeah. That'll be a big motivator for one of the central characters in the next Star Wars series, I should say. Yeah, Survivor's Guilt. Yeah. Love that. I'm sorry. It's the day I felt my life didn't have any meaning. Everyone I cared about, my team, was gone. I was just another expendable clone, waiting for my turn to be slaughtered in a war that made no sense to me. Can you understand that, Rex? Can Rex understand this? I don't think so yet. Yeah, Not yet, that's what I was going to say to you. I think the point of this episode is to get him to where he can at least consider it. Wake wake him up a little yeah. bit and get him to pay attention. This is stuff he's never thought about before. This is a haunting conversation. And it's one of the better clone lines in all of Clone Wars. Just another expendable clone waiting for my turn to be slaughtered. Because the last scene that we see of Rex, he's putting away a shovel after he just buried a lot of the clones he had been working alongside. Mm-hmm. And maybe this sort of conversation would be something that would haunt him. At that moment. Yeah. But I do think that's where he's going to land. I've been in countless battles and lost many brothers. They were my family. My home. 
I think that's the best response you can probably have with his experience. Shay says, Daddy, we finished our chores. Can we go outside and play? Please? Okay, only for a few minutes. Thank you, Daddy. Come on, Jack. And keep the house in view. And of course, we know that this terrible idea, the kids are now placing themselves in peril because the droid forces are out there. You have wonderful children. And Cut gets a little bit more revealing. I know you think I'm a coward, Rex. But believe me, I'll fight to my last breath to keep them safe. And again, he's a stepfather. He has made a commitment that's depthy. Mm. And it wasn't out of necessity. It wasn't because he impregnated someone accidentally. You know, it's this is, no, I saw a woman. She had two kids. I said, this is the life I want. And, I get, and I've, I'm given everything I have for it. That's man of character. And a, a, a nice element to double down on the the choice mm-hmm. that's that's sort of undergirding this whole episode. Like it was a knee jerk reaction, but I think throughout the conversation, throughout his time with Cut, he's learning Cut chose this family to be his family. Yeah. Rex is choosing the clone army to be his family. Mm. And he's he's just he's learning that as this conversation goes. I think that's solid. Then he ends up I mean later ends up choosing so you know, I think Ahsoka and some of these other characters kind of become his family too in, in much more than just a we're fighting alongside of each other kind of way. I feel like is where the series ends too, like kind of fully gets him to that point where it's like, here's my chosen family as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Not just people that I fight with. Yeah. Which you can't get to unless you have this episode. Right. Truth. Of course, this is also motive and foreshadowing because it is the case that Cut's going to have to fight for his family here in a minute. Movement of the episode takes us back to the battle between the droids, Grievous, Kenobi, and the rest. And we see a missile hit in ATT, and Obi-Wan flips off of it, ignites his saber, starts hunting. Great shot! Cut back to the farm. We see Jack in the field. Shia? Where are you? Shia, where are you? Stop fooling around. Boo! Ah! You are not funny. And too. <laughs> Look. In the field. What is it? It wasn't there before. And then. They discover the pod that Grievous wants. It's some kind of spaceship, I think. Hello? Hello? Do do you think somebody's in there? Two very different stories going on this whole time. Rex dialoguing with Cut about meaning, Kenobi tracking Grievous, and suddenly we see the two stories come together in, I thought, a very clever way. And we'll note again, Daniel, that this is a MacGuffin. And as in the case often with Star Wars, the MacGuffin is driving the movement. Mm. And then they bring in the horror tropes. This is kind of, this feels uh, Spielberg-y to me. Like whenever aliens are kind of involved and it's the kids discovering the aliens, it's very dark and, and you're going to hit some buttons and technology pops. And I don't know if, I don't have any specific references, but that feels like a Spielberg kind of thing to do. Sure. Well, Shay hits the button. 
We see eight commando droids awaken in the pod. Their eyes glow red. And now the kids that Cut just said he would fight to protect with his last breath are in peril. Dang kids. Real similar scene to the end of Mandalorian Season 2 where we see the hallway deploying with dark troopers. Their eyes get red. We know that they're coming after the kid. And uh, somebody's going to have to step in to, to fight. There's a lot of horror film going on here. And we hear, we see Cut uh, hearing their scream. Gia, Chet, what's wrong? Monsters, they're chasing us. Da, 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 what monsters? Anywhere. They hatch from the big egg in the field. He looks through his binoculars and he sees these droids coming. Uh, this is not good. I count 20. Cut, what's out there? Commander droids. And we, we know how bad these sorts of creatures can be. The commando droids... Uh, Serious business there. ...are, are Terminator-esque... Right, right. <laughs> ...skilled assassin droids. They're going to take you down. And they have this zombies walking through the cornfield kind of feel coming towards the, the yeah, farmhouse limping and sparking and... <laughs> like, ah, zombie robots. <laughs> terrifying. Absolutely terrifying. Did M. Night Shyamalan write this? This made me. Th- I was gonna say this just made me think of signs with the like yeah. mon- alien monsters in the cornfield kind of a thing. And here we go. Rex says, "What are they doing?" Sue, get the kids upstairs. Come, come, children, come now. Rex puts on his business hat. What weapons do you have? We can catch them in a crossfire. So Rex, the tacticianer, Grand Army of the Republic. Captain, throwing out strategy and... You take that corner. No, Captain. With respect, you're not in charge here. I I can be useful, sir. You're injured. You have only one good arm. But I can fight. So can I. Rex, I need you to be the last line of defense for my family. I'll take care of them. Thank you. There's nothing about this dialogue that should make me cry, but I tear up every time I, I watch this little scene. There's just a lot of passion here. There's a lot of uh, heart in both of them. And I don't know what it is that, that gets me. It just ends up being yeah, just a lot of passion for the moment. I also really like the, it, like it, it's a, a continuation of a great representation of the maturity level between the two of them. Yeah. Because the the immature one who literally just got shot through his body (laughs) is like, no, I can still fight. And it's like, you can't even move your arm because of nerve damage, you guy. And, and the, the mature one is like, this is my responsibility and I will take care of it. And I, I know what that means. For me, I think that's exactly right. Even for me though, it's, it's a, there's a self understanding. There's a gear that cut clearly has, he has been fashioned to be a warrior. Right. And he has taken, you know, he's he hasn't been in that gear for years. But now it's go time. Yeah. Reminds me very cleanly of what we hear from 99 before he dies when he says, I'm a soldier. This is what I was bred for. Mm-hmm. It's like like when it's when it's go time, that's what Cut says. Yeah. This is what I was bred for. I also think he's clearly th- planned for what to do if this happens before because i mean he says when he meets rex oh i guess 
I guess the I guess the it's finally come, finally here. come here. Like yeah. I guess the war has finally come here. So even though he's not been a soldier for for years, he's he, probably thought of what to do when the when the battle droids come knocking down his front door. Mm. I would imagine he's thought of a plan. Yeah, has weapons handy and is just prepared to know what to do because those instincts aren't going to go away. Right. I don't think I ever would have put cut in 99 together, but that everything you said there is what we talked about with 99. There's no reason for 99 to prepare to be a soldier ever. And yet in our conversation about the battle of Camino, 99 is carrying munitions from here to there as though, you know what, when the battle comes, I'm going to be ready. Yeah. You know, I'm going to know what to do when, when my home is invaded. Because in 99's case, he's thought of nothing other than being able to do that. Yeah. Cut then says to Rex, Rex, I need you to be the last line of defense for my family. I'll take care of them. Thank you. And then we see Cut taking position in his living room. The lights are out. The droids are coming. shoots two with a rifle, is grabbed through a window, wrestles away, and plugs another through the head. Uh, have you all seen Silverado? Yeah. I love the beginning of Silverado. It's a, a Kirshner, yeah? Uh, who wrote Empire Strikes Back? Uh, Ka- Kazdan. Lawrence Kazdan. It's a Lawrence Kazdan film, and it, it begins similar to this. Real small space in which a cowboy is sleeping, and he's attacked from outside from all directions. There's also the fight in the house kind of in the middle of the movie, too, and that's what it kind of, it kind of feels more like that to me because I think at one point Kevin Costner gets pulled out of a window by the guys yeah. that are fighting it, it, towards like the middle when they're all in the house together. Scott Glenn's like doing cartwheels around the house, kicking dudes. It's a great movie. It is a great movie. You should, you should watch this. Killer but- cast, too. I mean, it's it's Kevin Klein, Jeff Goldblum, John Cleese. Uh, Danny Glover is in it, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's just mm-hmm. a... Great group of people for Linda Hunt. Just like a great group of folks for for a Western. If you like Westerns. You can see John Cleese play the sheriff of a little town. (laughs) It's a a phenomenal character actor role. Yeah, he's great. I'm Sheriff John Langston. As you may have guessed, I am not from these parts. You're kidding. Well, we cut back to Grievous and the Separatist shuttle arrives on the planet to rescue him and to... General Grievous, sir, we see you below us. Are you ready to depart? Concentrate your fire on that ship! Which is a line from Yoda in Attack of the Clones. Hey, they're shooting at us. Coming back around. (laughs) I like that they're surprised. (laughs) Wait a minute, they're shooting at us. What do you think is happening here, bud? And Chris, who has the worst haircut in all of Star Wars, says... Sorry, that ship's coming around for another landing attempt. That is a bold claim to make. There are a <laughs> lot of bad haircuts. I feel like just, I, just in, in the clone troops alone, there's some worse haircuts. I'm, just, I'm putting my money on Chris. Some soul patches, some sideburns, some other things that just shouldn't be happening. Remember Obi-Wan as a Padawan? Oof. Just saying, if, if I was getting... You know, the freshman orientation treatment, I'm really hoping I don't get Chris's haircut above all other haircuts. 
Well, they all have choices. It seems like Chris chose this haircut. <laughs> Fire Don't let that ship land. The guns are overheated. Or something. Cody, Jesse, cover me. General. We see Kenobi running through the Separatist line, and he attacks Grievous with his saber directly. And then we move back to the farm. Just again, bang, bang, bang. There are two very different kinds of battles taking place. Very Star Wars-ish on this run. Mm. Like you have energy, you have action, but they're very different styles. And they always, I think I've made this point before, but like they always cut them so well, you never feel like you're missing anything from one fight when they go to another fight. Like it just, like it's, mm -hmm. it's all laid out and planned and mapped so well. Mm. Cut is aware of all the creeks in his house and he's searching for the droids who suddenly pop up from under the floor. There's blaster fire and a rafter falls on cut. The droids walk up the stairs where the family is. Rex, they're coming for you! As always, just gorgeous dark lighting in these scenes. And Cut moves out from under the rafter and attacks another droid with a table and beats another with a chair. Rex is upstairs firing at droids. Cut punches one in the head, which he realizes is a really dumb move because they're metal. <laughs> That's badass. The droid grabs him by the head and flings him to the side, and Rex shoots one upstairs who falls through the floor next to Cut. Cut sees his blaster and fires at the last droid. And upstairs we hear. Daddy? Daddy? I'm okay. And then we cut back to Grievous and Kenobi in battle. And Grievous knocks Kenobi to the side. Forget trying to land. He grabs the shuttle with a grappling claw. I'm, I'm obviously flying through a lot of this. A lot of action. It's also the case that basically everything that's happening with Grievous and Obi-Wan is, is happening so that we can have the stuff with Cut. and Yeah. Like, otherwise, it, it's, it's a complete one-off story. So... Like the fact that the Grievous and the MacGuffin and like this stuff is happening, this is a side plot. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's actually connecting the real plot to the greater plot of what is the Clone Wars. Yeah. So it's unimportant, I think. Grievous gets away again. They could have called it that. So Grievous runs fine. away at the last minute. Yeah. Coward. I wonder if that's not how most human stories work. There's the the big meta stories that are taking place that we're involved in but then it's it's really this the pausing for the side plot but the meta story is important mm -hmm. you know that the whole world was shut down during COVID, and that's the big plot and there's huge figures who are involved in getting us from here to there but then there's your and my story right that are smaller more intimate you know and, and we're wrestling through stuff it's now it's quiet some of us lost parents you know some of us uh, have lost lost jobs and we're trying to figure out all the little things and, but that's the big stuff going on even when it feels like the big stuff is the worldwide catastrophe truly the big stuff is what's happening in individual hearts and lives right agreed well and that's yeah that's that's how like stories coming out of this experience the stories that focus on what happened during the pandemic nobody's going to care about those <laughs> when the pan when the pandemic is a 
backdrop for other stories, that's that's going to be real storytelling. And that's what this is. The war is a backdrop for this conversion experience with Rex. The human stories contained in the big thing are interesting. Yep. We cut back to Grievous and Kenobi in battle. Grievous knocks Kenobi to the side and says to the shuttle, Fire the entrance! And pulls himself towards the craft, leaving all of his droid army to die. And of course, says back to Kenobi, Jedi scum! Are you alright, sir? No. We're right back where we started. Call the cruisers. See if they can stop that ship. Right away, sir. And tell them to send someone to pick us up. I like that last line <laughs> quite a bit. Yeah, me too. It feels like something from another movie, and I can't place it. I feel like it's 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 a situation that Obi Wan finds himself in a lot. I think I I feel like Anakin <laughs> makes go. jokes about it sometimes. It's like you're constantly needing to be rescued and i'm stuck out here again yeah <laughs> please come get me i don't want to walk well, we cut to the last scene we're back on the farm rex has put all his gear on an eop i think that's how you say that weird anteater horse thing <laughs> that's their official title <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's the latin that's the, <laughs> that's the biological name <laughs> All right, that should do it. Captain Rex, are you going to turn in my husband? I'm sorry, Sue. It's my duty. But in my condition, I probably won't remember any of this. Thank you. That is something Rex has never done. Chosen to disobey the officer field manual regulations or whatever that would be for... <laughs> this is the way it's done in the grand army of the republic and he's deciding not to do the thing right chosen to turn to to look the other way well i i like that he they they do it in such a way to sort of let him hold both things like i have to it's my duty but also i got hit in the head a lot so maybe i don't remember things very well it's it's a ni- it's a nice way to show that all of the conversations and this whole situation that he just lived wasn't wasn't meaningless and mm-hmm. wasted on him like it didn't totally change who he was right, right away cuz right. that would be ridiculous right. but but just a moment to show this moved him i guess towards compassion and humanity in a way he hasn't been before like it's a it's a really nice first step for him yeah well and i i also i'm i also think that they they need to show that like rex in in growing and maturing and becoming the person that he's going to be later he's not going to become cut he's not going to become a deserter with a family he's going to become a more mature version of rex which like I said earlier, his family is the clone army. Yeah. So like like at, as he grows, the the movement is not going to be away from the army but into an intentional choice of his position. Mm. Sue says, "Thank you, Rex. You're still a deserter cut, but you're certainly not a coward." It's a super backhanded compliment, but <laughs> <laughs> I think that's right, but it also sh- it uh, it shows movement. Yeah. It's a, oh yeah, <laughs> it's a statement of fact and also a, a colorization of something that used to be black and white. 
because all deserters are cowards until you meet them and learn their stories and figure out why they deserted and then maybe they aren't cowards maybe this is actually the better choice for them yeah there it is and a braver choice i mean like if your whole identity is meant to be this one thing and then you choose that that's not for you hey that's a very that's a very brave thing to decide right i don't want to do this thing that's been my identity for forever anymore and again, a lot of what we're going to see in the Umbara arc, I think, has foundations here in, in terms of how is it that Rex thinks about the propaganda? Mm-hmm. How does he think about authority structures? And how, how even does he think about the other clones? This is a big part of Umbara is him elevating, not that I'm a soldier with these other men, but that these are my family and if you are family with somebody, you have different duties to them. Mm-hmm. Um, you have duties to fellow soldiers. You have different duties to your family. Yeah. And in, the, in these matter in terms of how you talk about the good life, the moral life, and what you ought to do. Yep. Rex Communicator Bings. Captain Rex, are you still with us? Yes, General Kenobi. I'm still with you, and thankfully on the men, sir. That's great news. We certainly missed you at the party. Very again, very James Bond. <laughs> just, just keeps popping up. Sorry, sir. I had to attend one of my own. Can't wait to hear about it. We're standing by with a martini. You're welcome to stay, Rex. This is your home, Cut. My family is elsewhere. Goodbye. Bye. Thanks for making my point, Rex. <laughs> Cut to credits. I said this in the last episode, but it's really hit me more and more, especially with the work that they're doing with the Bad Batch now, that Star Wars is about family. And oftentimes the families look very, very different. A girl with four dads, you know, is it where it's recent? Is it four dads, three dads? How many dads are there? Yeah, it's Steve Gutenberg and <laughs> Ted Danson and, uh, and Wrecker. <laughs> four. There's four of them. Obviously trying to push into deep Jungian archetypes. You got lots of discussions of archetypes, of virtue and goodness and the war between right and wrong. But after all of that, perhaps even at a more depthy level is family and the connection that we have with other human beings. I think that's just really well showcased here and it's exposed in the action film. Hey, to quote Vin Diesel... All that matters is family. (laughs) Well, in the classic tradition of the Western, we see Rex ride off into the sunset. Helmet is off. We've talked about helmets in humanity in the past. Mm -hmm. There is growth and insight and perhaps a little bit of quiet time of meditation ahead as as he tries to find his family. And that's it. Shay runs out and goes, Rex! (laughs) 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 Oh, man. So sad. You got any last words on this episode? I think that this is the undercurrent of, of all of the Clone Wars um, and, and you know, lots of many, many, many really good stories anyway. But the presentation here of, of what choice looks like and, and the wrestling of one character who is indoctrinated into believing that the fact that they chose the only option on the table still means that they chose it 
versus someone who actually made a choice mm-hmm. mm. and and just like wrestling with that it i i think that it always makes for good storytelling and it it's also something that we should all be wrestling with what what choices do we think that we've made when actually it was the only choice on the table and and we might have been coerced or indoctrinated or or propagandized or or tricked or whatever and and what does it look like for us to embrace meaning behind actual decisions do we have free mm-hmm. will or not of all things the last time we recorded with you tj we covered the lost ones and that was the last line of that episode as well mm. it was yoda saying the right choice no the only choice yes it was something like that. yeah mm-hmm. yeah yep and and again it's i think you're exactly right is these decision points when you actually do have freedom to make choices and pushing into that that's good got thoughts daniel no i'm not gonna I don't think I'm going to uh, top what, what uh, TJ said. So I'm going to, I'm going to choose to uh, defer to him. <laughs> well, well, here's what's up next. Then uh, we are watching the final episode of the first season. This is called hostage crisis. Uh, Kenobi is hunting Grievous and Anakin returns to Coruscant. And as we know, Anakin has a romantic attachment that causes him eventual trouble. Quite scandalous. Um, fictional story about a Senate building being taken over by a mob. Man, can you imagine if that happened in real life? So just in case you don't want to hear Daniel and I's opinions on this, because we've already recorded this episode and occasionally get quite passionate, uh, you, can, you, can, you can skip to the next one. But, but otherwise, we, we, might, we might show our cards. I think the cards are printed on both sides. So. <laughs> Wait a second, you have a pair of aces. Playing with the face of our cards turned out. Friends, these episodes take an enormous amount of work and it would make a world of difference to us if you take just two seconds uh, and give us some stars on your podcasting platform of choice or share this with somebody that you love. Uh, The best thing that you could do for us is simply to send this to a buddy and say, this was meaningful to me. Would you take a listen? The music here is by John Williams, Samuel Kim, Ludwig Gordonson, and the great Kevin Kiner. All Star Wars material here is created by the phenomenal artists at Lucasfilm. And by the way, in this episode, by the great Greeley native, the Bradley Baker, who deserves a special shout out for his work as the voice of all the clones. Hell yeah. I uh, was certain that he was Australian. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Nope. You can find all the links to all of our stuff at StarWarsBinge.com and you can share your thoughts with us on the Twitter. You got anything else? The most important thing is family. F9. Big thanks to T.J. Wilson. You're still a deserter. Just certainly not a coward. (laughs) He's Daniel Mothershed. He is part of the most pivotal moment in the history of the Republic. I know I've always thought that. And I'm Jeff Cook. But in my condition, I probably won't remember any of this. And you know why, Daniel? Because this is the way. This is the way. This is the way. Because this is the way. I do have myself some fetishes, but that ain't one of them. It's a so. <laughs> super backhanded compliment, but... <laughs> <laughs>